Good morning. Sun's rising. I got up early this morning. Wanted to work a little, little bit more on what I wanted to say to you this morning. Such a powerful passage. Always, each and every week, there's just something more I can do to, to somehow help you appreciate what the Lord is uh, saying through his word in a way that's very relevant to us. And that seems a task that is never achieved. Yesterday, I left the office, left the study, left the church. They were all kind of the same thing. But I left where I was working on the message at about uh, 2 o'clock and headed home. It was like I put a period on it, and I knew I would come back this morning and kind of fix it up just a little bit. But I felt pretty good about it. I was thankful. And I was uh, looking forward to getting home and, and just having a couple of hours to relax. And when I turned off of the freeway and then the main boulevard, I kind of got into the neighborhood, you know, and the phone rang. Didn't recognize the number. I didn't have any kind of hands-free thing going on, so I touched the button and I, you know, that said, uh, like, speakerphone. And I said, hello, this is John, and I could hear Hello, Pastor John. Hello, this is Pastor John. Hello, Pastor John. And then I don't know what happened. Lost the number, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll call back as soon as I'm safe inside the garage and out of the car. And just as I was getting out of the car, the phone rang again, and I answered, Hi, this is John. I don't say Pastor John. I just say John. That's who I am. Hello, this is John. And she identified herself. I knew her. She says, well, I'm calling on a friend's phone. It was a mutual friend. And her brother had died. Now, I called her, our friend, and had a wonderful conversation. It was so neat to hear about her brother. What an influence she'd been on him, how he raised her in so many ways, you know, big brothers. The truth could be the same. I mean, it could be true, just as true of a big sister, but in her case, several years older, you know, help her get ready for school, pick her up after school. Huge loss because his life was an emblem, an example to her, and uh, he was just, a, just loved the Lord and a strong believer and died suddenly, and she was crushed. And she'd asked me to call, and it was a very sweet time of sharing. And sometimes, isn't it so true that just the exchange of our heartfelt love for the Lord and faith can be so powerful in, in our lives at times when we feel so weak and vulnerable and even hurt? 
But I got to admit to you that before I actually made that connection, I was, when I heard that, Pastor John, is that you? I thought, oh, no. I don't want to do anything like that right now. I just want to go home. And of course, then finding out the gravity of it and so forth. You know, sometimes there's the contemplation of love, which is so profound and important to our Christian walk. It's the contemplation, not just of an abstract concept, it's the contemplation of God's love in Jesus Christ, the very person of God. The contemplation of that is so rich and inspiring, and it just, wow, it takes us places. No, no way on earth can anything in the world by the same word of love take you. And yet, the reality of day-to-day life, the difference between contemplation and action, are important and connected, but sometimes they seem like they are worlds apart. I just finished. You know, I just put a period on this sermon. But I was going to come back to it this morning. And so this morning I got up a little bit early. Not as early, but I got up a little bit early. And uh, I headed for the church, the church office. And, uh, but I had to stop at Starbucks. So I went through the drive through where everybody knows my name and I know theirs. And I got my coffee. And it's in a shopping center, so I was making my way down the the main boulevard of the shopping center, the one with the big speed bumps. And I'd be boom, boom. As I was making my way towards the exit of, and just at that time, a car's coming to the right. I'm on the main boulevard, but this car coming to the right, it's just cruising along, and I'm expecting it to slow down because I'm on the main boulevard, the one with the speed bumps. And this car didn't stop at all. It just, and so I slowed down because I was on my way to the church office. (laughs) And that car was in front of me and it went over a speed bump and then I went over a speed bump and we came to the edge of the shopping center property where it immediately made a right turn and (laughs) I was going that way too so I made a right turn and hey at the next big turn it went to the right and so did I and now we were both going on to the freeway and we were there are two lanes on this on-ramp and this person was in the slow lane and I was in the fast lane So I went faster because actually I just kind of wanted to get beyond this person. And as I was going beyond this person, as I was just coming up to this person because we're getting on the freeway and I was not going even as fast as I needed yet because of the optimal speed of the freeway. As I was approaching this person in the fast lane opposite the slow lane, this person just started to drift right into me. And so I slowed down. 
I wasn't alerted by a blinker or any kind of motion. It just moved over in front of me. So I slowed down and put on the brakes because I was on my way to the church office. So this person merged into the slow lane of the two-lane freeway, and I then went to the fast lane so that I could really go fast as legally allowed and leave this person in my rearview mirror. And just as I began to pass this person, this person preferred to look at me in this person's rearview mirror, and so it accelerated. And then when it exited the freeway, wouldn't you know it, that was where I was going too. <laughs> and when we got to the off-ramp, that person turned right, and so did I. And on and on down the road we went. But I want you to know, lest you should think otherwise, I'm sure this person thought I was very loving because I didn't do anything to indicate anything otherwise. But I was on my way to the church office where I was going to put the finishing touches on this sermon about perhaps what is known as Paul's greatest prayer. It's certainly his greatest prayer in my opinion. And it's a prayer that's all about God's love in Jesus Christ. And here I was on my way to put the finishing touches on a message about the greatest prayer of Paul, in my opinion, about the love of God in Jesus Christ and how it should really, in a way, not only be his prayer because he wants it to be so profoundly important to us and incarnated within us, but that it also should then therefore be an object of our aspiration and focus as Christians who call ourselves disciples of Jesus, Jesus Lord, Jesus Messiah, Jesus, in which, as we've seen here in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, God before the foundation of the world, we are admitted into the inner sanctuary of his will, his heart, in which before our own creation and the history of which we are a part, we are somewhere in the middle, looking back and looking ahead, he, in love, contemplated and then decreed his purpose for the expanse of history in Jesus Christ. And seeing it all, he saw fit to display his power in love. That we should be so shaped and fashioned 
and formed by that love that we embody the gospel. In fact, we are the body of the gospel, Jesus Christ. And we are to be a new race, the church, in the world. And there is sometimes a huge difference between the contemplation which must take place. Sometimes we call it theology. But that contemplation must grip our hearts. And there is, though, I'm confessing, a sometimes great difference between its contemplation and its expression in our lives. And I was very aware of that yesterday when I was thinking more about myself than that phone call immediately. It's better than it used to be. And I don't say that to kind of deflect any... I'm just trying to say, as we grow in Christ's love, we get better at responding. But there's always that contemplation to expression, exchange, that process that seems to have to take place. Sometimes it takes a long time for us to complete that process from contemplation to expression. Sometimes it just takes a moment. But that's the process we're in as we grow in Christ. And that's the concern of Paul's prayer in perspective. And I felt that again this morning. I mean, there was just a moment there. Now I have the idea that was to express that moment, that that thought, that kind of sensation. And the way I would describe it now is, is I, I wished I was in one of those cars, you know, like you, they put you in a rodeo and you just crash into each other. That's, that's kind of what I felt. It was like I just wanted to crash into that person. That's where I, and then, and then the contemplation. It, it, and you begin this quick process and you begin in Christ to be changed in your attitude. And it's, it's like Paul says in other parts of his letters, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Because the spirit is our ally. I mean, or we are the spirit's ally. The spirit is at work in our hearts always, at work in our hearts to market and promote Jesus Christ. Well, Let's read this prayer. It's in chapter 3, verse 14 through 19, and then it concludes with a doxology. For this reason, I bow my knees. This reason, going back into chapter 2 and even to chapter 1. 
For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This prayer, it uses the word may, but I just, I want you to understand that the word may is Paul's prayer language. It's actually the way we translate the Greek language. Whenever you pray, things are thrown into the hands of God, and so they're not, so to speak, in our control. And whenever you put something into the control of another or into the future, because it's in someone else's control. We use the word may, should, things like that. But it doesn't bring into view some sense of doubt as though there isn't an authentic, earnest expectation that this is the reality that God seeks to fulfill in our lives in Paul's prayer. And I wanted you to also see this prayer, although it isn't always apparent to us in English, is quite clear in the language that, that Paul wrote it. Uh, you can see that there are three that's that kind of organize this prayer. In brackets is the word hina, and that is a Greek word that's put in English characters or letters so that you can pronounce it in English. Um, Hina means that. But that sometimes can express purpose or result, or it can even express amplification or elaboration. And they actually work in those three ways here within this prayer. I don't see each of these that's as equal bullet points. In fact, each that leads to the next that, in my strong opinion. Let me share with you what is the content of these three that's. The first, that the Father would grant you to be strengthened with power, boy, listen to all the words about what? Getting healthier, right? Getting stronger, that you might be strengthened with power through His Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. It's not about giving the Spirit. We already have His Spirit but that we should get strengthened by the Spirit's operation, by the Spirit's power in our lives. And then there's 
a clarification or an explanation or an amplification that Christ should occupy our hearts. You see, where the, where the Spirit is powerful and strengthening, Christ is powerful and strong. That's because the Holy Spirit in us always, always markets, always expands Jesus Christ in our thinking and our actions and our lives. It elevates his lordship. In fact, he really becomes Lord when we let the Holy Spirit have the Spirit's way in our lives. So he's almost talking about the Spirit like he is talking about Christ. And he talks about Christ occupying, or the word could be translated, dwell. Or it could be um, take up residence. Well, the, the Spirit is always resident in our lives, but sometimes you wouldn't know it if he's not allowed to flex his power. And Paul's praying that the Spirit would be able to be powerful in our lives, that Christ may dwell and fully occupy our hearts through faith, rooted and grounded. Rooted is like a botanical illustration or example. We think of plants that put down roots. I used to live with the nematode specialist for Dow Chemical. Now this, this it, wait, I mean, I'm, Shelley and I were married and we were all living under the same roof and he was much older and he invited us to live with him. Everything was copacetic, but he was, and his wife had died, he'd been recently widowed and he was mostly gone off to Peru or other places in the world because he was the nematode specialist for Dow Chemical. You do not seem impressed. <laughs> and the fact of the matter, he was one of maybe three in the whole world. That's why they called on him all the time, and he went all over the place. And we lived in the same house. I can't believe that. I mean, we were like that, me and the nem nematode specialist for Dow Chemical. Well, anyway... Nematodes are like small worms that destroy agriculture. But Harold, Harold Limbright, that was his name, Harold told me that slow growth is good growth. Because slow growth is strong growth. It's the kind of growth that holds up and stays. So when Paul says rooted and grounded, when he says rooted, he's talking about good growth that stays, that's deeply planted, that can't be uprooted. And then when he uses grounded or some say founded, 
or some say established. This is to lay a foundation. And when you lay a foundation, you know no house will stand that is built on sand. And you know that a house, if it's, no matter how beautiful what is above the ground, it is because of the foundation that it's able to stand. And so Paul says, rooted and founded or foundationed in love. You just think about that a little bit. I know sometimes you think, well, maybe I, I don't really know what you think. Although, one time, and it's been a few years, funny how these things stick with you, isn't it? Probably 15 years ago, somebody wrote on a communication card to me, love, love, love. Why all this talk about love? Well, here I am again, folks. And you still aren't getting it. No, it's a joke. We still aren't getting it. It's hard work. Especially if we try to do it on our own. We cannot love as God in Christ has loved us. We cannot be rooted and grounded unless we love in his love through faith. And that's the issue between contemplation and expression of that love. And you know what I'm talking about. And that's why I'm sharing with you about stuff even just as recent as yesterday and today. Pastors are not immune. Pastors never, we do not become perfect and somehow leave all this behind. Each and every day, each and every one of us is challenged to love as Jesus Christ has loved us. Because that is the heart of the gospel. And we have to find a way to start doing that each and every day. In all of the crazy and crazy and really crazy ways Jesus Christ loved. Yeah, with the people right around us. They are not exempt. Husbands are not exempt. They don't go in a special category. Wives are not exempt. Children are not exempt. Parents are not exempt. Co-workers are not exempt. Strange people in the dark driving in shopping centers that don't stop for guys on the main boulevard are not exempt. Phone calls when you're in the car after you put a period on your sermon are not exempt. This is not, this is not a codicil. To the gospel will. This is the gospel will. And it is the heart of Paul's prayer. Because love is not just a concept, not just a poem, not just a song. It is the person of God in the Father, the Spirit, and the Christ who are all agents of Paul's prayer. 
So this strength that comes to us through the power of the Spirit that is the Christ occupying our lives, rooted and grounded in love, this strength, this power, is that we would have strength. That's the second step in the prayer. And that's in verse 18. That we would have strength enough to grasp, to fathom, to comprehend, to appreciate the length. Just imagine looking as far as you can see and now turning around and looking as far as you can see. The length. And then the width, you get the picture, and the height, and the depth. And what is this? It's his love. It's the love of God in Christ. And what is this for? That brings us to the last step, the last that, or hina of his prayer, that you may be filled, that you may, you remember later in this letter in chapter 5 verse 18, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And the contrast is being made with being inebriated with wine when you are under the influence. So being filled isn't just about space. It's about capacity in the sense of influence. And when Paul talks about that we should be filled, now just think of the process, the power of the Spirit strengthening us, that we should be rooted and grounded in Christ, all this should be that we should have the strength to fathom, to comprehend, to appreciate, to understand the love of God in its breadth and length and height and depth. And why? That we should be filled with all the fullness of God. The presence of God. Think about that. The presence of God. There are people in search of the presence of God. They are pursuing the presence of God. And they're looking for God in all the wrong places. Even bona fide, conservative, evangelical Christians are looking for God in all the wrong places. Paul is telling us not where to look, but where to find the presence, the reality, the experience of God. And it's in the love of Christ Jesus implanted in our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me rephrase this by looking at these points to know influentially the power of the Spirit within in order to grasp completely the love of Christ. And the outcome that we should experience fully the presence of God, the triune God, in our lives. And why is this so important? 
And this is where I want us to look at the rest of Ephesians. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 is the end of what Paul started in verse 1. And what Paul started in verse 1 was what he resumes in verse 14. Let's go look back to verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Now that's really interesting to me. This is the first time that Paul, the Apostle Paul, thankfully, Paul, who led us in worship this morning, he let us know about this earlier. But this is the first time in the letter that Paul makes mention of the fact that he's in prison. I'm sure that a lot of his readers already were aware of that. But he draws attention to it that he's in prison for a reason. It's not dumb luck. He's there because of Christ, and he's there because of the people he's, reading, he's writing to, his readers. And he says here, I'm a prisoner. Now, I find that fascinating. It, to me, it's, it, it, it's an irony that Paul, who's writing to the church at Ephesus, Ephesus is the third largest city in the known world at that time, in the Roman world for sure. And the entire environment, even the other peoples in the cities, in, in the, the bedroom communities, if you will, of Ephesus, they're all in awe of Rome and its imperial power. And Paul is just Paul is a victim. Do you realize that? He's in prison. He's in bondage in the hands of Rome. But he says, I'm here because of Jesus Christ and you. And then he, in verses 2 through 12, he takes a little U-turn or detour and he tells us all about who he is. Now, just, I'm going to do this very quickly, but just think with me, and I hope you'll read this because I'm going to tell you what he tells us. He says that he has been given a responsibility, a very important administrative responsibility in the grand design of God. That what God is doing, which he calls a mystery, it's a mystery that has been kept in the dark. It's been sealed up in the heart of God since before the foundation of the world, but now it has been revealed, Paul says. It's now been made known. It's been unveiled. Like a big car show, it's the new model. But this is the one model for all history, and it is God's purpose and plan revealed in Jesus Christ. And in that process, Paul says, God, God has called on me. I'm God's man 
to the entire Gentile world, to all of you, to fulfill. I'm in, I'm the, I'm the key guy. I'm the point person. I'm the key guy to reaching the Gentile world with the message of this revealed mystery of what God is doing. And in this, your part is being a part of the gospel, verse 6, this unifying work of God in Jesus Christ, making two into one, creating a unity, creating a new person, a new race, if you will, a third race. And it's called the gospel. It's called the church. It's called the body of Jesus Christ. So, I don't know if you're following me, but Paul says, because of that, it's right here in verse 13. Verse, first of all, he says in verse 12, you have boldness and confident access to God. With all the saints, and he even talks about his credentials, he says, I'm the least. In fact, he even goes further. It's not good English, but it's good Greek. He says, I'm the leaster one. Of all the least, I'm even leaster. And God has put all of this into Paul's responsibility. He's in prison because of it. He is pouring out his life for his readers there in service of the gospel. And so he comes to verse 13 and he says, So I ask you, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. In fact, you know, my afflictions, my imprisonment, everything that's happening with me is going on for your glory. Because you are the glory of Christ, which he talked about in verse 10 when he talked about the church, this church, these people, these little, I mean, think about it, little house churches, little, little tent churches like this. This church is where God is doing his great work. He who did that same work, he became human, and his son, Jesus, died on the cross, expressing his love to transform people through faith because God's power is relinquished in the love of Jesus Christ. It's accomplished in his love, and it's embodied in his church. And that's what Paul's talking about. So no wonder he now resumes the prayer that he stopped praying in verse 1, in verse 14, and he gets on his knees before God, the father of every tribe, nationality on earth, and he prays for the church, this third race, you and me, because he wants us to be a people of love. And I find that so ironic because we are a people of celebrity. We are a culture in which we follow people who have power and influence and success. And we, we love to flock and follow and pursue. We're swayed by it. We're moved by it. We're influenced by it. 
We're enthused by it. It's a power in our lives. And we want a taste of it. We want to hitch our wagon to it. We want to get on board with it. We want to go with it. Because obviously, they're going someplace. They're really going someplace because they're already going there. We can see that. Everybody can see that. And then you've got Paul over here talking to little clumps of people. And he's saying, hey, don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. This word lose heart is used of women who are about to give out in the pangs of birth because they're tired of pushing. I was there with Shelly. Push, honey, push, honey. Come on, you can do it. One more time, one more time. Come on, baby. I'm getting tired. (laughs) It's used of warriors who are moving out into the battlefield, facing the enemy. And the commanding officer says, do not lose heart here. Power through this. Move ahead. Don't retreat. And Paul says here, don't lose heart. Don't look at me and confuse that with weakness or failure or being overcome. Don't confuse that or trade that for the shimmer and the glamour and the comey here that so often influences and fancies us in Christ. You are to be rooted and grounded. You are to rely on a power you can't see with your eyes. You're to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in you that you might possibly comprehend the power of God's love. His strategic approach to changing the world and determining the outcourse of all history is love in the humble life of his son Jesus Christ and the humble, devoted, sold-out lives of his people, the church, to which God is displaying, verse 10, his wisdom. I am not a fool, God says. Look at my church. You laugh, you powers of spiritual and heavenly places. You laugh. You look at my church. See what Jesus, my spirit, in love is doing. Look at the unity. Look at the oneness. Look at the reality of this new race. That is what we're called to. That is what Paul is praying for. And that is why we need to pursue God's love in Jesus Christ And I guarantee you, you will realize the reality of God's presence in your life as you pursue love in the unseen, unadvertised, unadorned details of life. It might sound kind of special when a pastor talks about these little moments, but my moments are just like your moments. And these are the moments we're called to each and every day. 
And what I want you to realize is that as you love in Christ, you can't do it on your own. You will not. You will not be able to love. You will not be able to tolerate that husband, that wife, that co-worker, that driver. You will not be able to tolerate it. You try to love on your own. It will drive you into the arms of Jesus Christ and his power that is unleashed in our lives when we surrender to the Spirit to do that which only he can do. And you will begin to see your life change. Your faith will grow. Your confidence and assurance in the presence and power of God in Christ in you will be realized in a way that we all, as his people, need to fathom. You and I do not know what we will face. Contemplation is one thing. How will I love in this situation? How will I love in that, Lord? As I think about those things, I think, will I stand up? Will I pass the test? I don't know. But I do know that as I love in the moments of each and every day, when I actually express his love in words, attitude, that's how I prepare for a tomorrow I cannot yet see. And that's the way you do too. And that's how you grow in Christ. That's how you know his presence. And that is how you become a strategic part in the building of the church, the body of Christ. Will you stand with me? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, your, your heart, Paul's prayer, our prayer, is that we might love in Jesus Christ. Today, tomorrow, every day, that we might know you and the reality of your presence and your power in our lives as we trust you more. To this we, we commit ourselves and we pray it in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, God bless you.